0: It happens uh, when I was out a couple of weeks ago, or last week, I guess. It seems like Eternity Now, uh, how weeks ago. Uh, VBS is one week that seems like it lasts 10 weeks, but it's one week. But last weekend, uh, some of our church members uh, went through a process we call missional pathway. Uh, it is the how uh, for our vision statement, which if you don't remember our vision statement, we've said it a bunch, but here it is again. Uh, we wanna prepare and send disciple-making missionaries, that's you, uh, who will strengthen families, love neighbors, and transform communities with the gospel. Vacation Bible school, preteen camp, our student camp that we had earlier this year, a connect camp that we're hosting this summer are, are all part of that, but really uh, what that vision statement is about is about you and me uh, taking the truth of the Bible uh, the message of salvation that we have through Jesus Christ and going to our family our neighbors and to our communities with the gospel and so how we accomplish that is actually this thing we're calling missional pathway uh, there's a two-part process to it for us as as individuals awaken and activate and we hosted an activate uh, session on Saturday uh, a week ago and about 30 or 45 Folks who hadn't been through it yet went through it and while I was in Florida, I was getting email after email after email of people uh, sending me photos uh, and also statements about how they believe God was going to use them in the weeks and months and years ahead uh, to impact their community. And I just want to share a few of those with you that I remember. I didn't write them down. I just remember because they were so impactful. Uh, one of our church members said that, that he is meeting with other men every Friday for breakfast, just getting together, a group of people, inviting folks to have coffee uh, and enjoy a time where he can share his faith where he can grow in his faith where he can help others come to know their faith one of our other church members uh, had a real passion to reach his co-workers and so he decided that he was going to offer any of his men that he worked with uh, to pray for them to encourage them if they had a need he was going to be there for them and he came up to me today or this week sometime, uh, maybe Thursday night at family night. Uh, Again, the days run together during VBS. But he said, he said, pastor, I just want you to know that as soon as I started that, the battle has begun. Uh, Because we're not facing a physical battle, we're facing a spiritual battle. Uh, But I'm excited that, that people in our congregation Want to take how God has used them, how God has shaped them over their lifetime, the stories that He's given them, and use those stories and experiences and their faith to make a difference uh, with those that they know. And so, if you haven't uh, gotten into the how uh, of this, you're like, oh, that sounds great, Pastor, wonderful, disciple making missionaries, strong families, love our neighbors even though they're mean and They have animals we don't like. Uh, We still need to love them and and transform our community. Well, how do we do that? Well, missional pathway is the way we're doing that. We'll have another session in the fall, so keep your ears open for that. But I'm excited about where God is taking our church and and where we're going. And today, we're going to Jonah again. So if you've got a Bible, uh, turn to Jonah chapter three. If you get to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you've gone too far. Uh, It's just past Amos Uh, There, page 775 in my Bible, if that helps you at all. It might, if you have the ESV in this actual version, you'll find it. But uh, Jonah 3 is is a very unique event in history. Uh, It it is a great revival. Uh, An entire city changes their direction, the course of their lives, And revivals and and great spiritual moments have happened all throughout history, but it seems that that Nineveh, changing course, is kind of the first big, big thing that we see, like that people recognize. Because... Even folks outside the church, they might have heard of Jonah thanks to veggie tales or uh, just some, this guy recently that got swallowed by the whale uh, and then spit back up, real-life news, uh, those things that might have. But, but revival is important throughout history. Uh, we, we know that revival happened here. Uh, it, it also happened in Jesus' day where he called men and women unto himself in great numbers. And then Peter in the book of Acts, when he preached that famous sermon and 3,000 people all from different walks of life, different nationalities, all came to faith in Christ and the church was born. And then as you fast forward even to Constantine in the 300s, when he declared Christianity kind of the national religion of the Roman Empire. Now, not all of those people really came to faith in Christ. Some of them were just after the robe and the money that he offered them to proclaim Christianity. But Thousands and thousands of people turned to Christianity during that era after a long season of persecution. And then, of course, the, the Reformation in the 14, 1500s. Men like Martin Luther and John Calvin. It's where Baptists find their heritage in that era where, where people relied on faith alone, Scripture alone, and, and a turn in the life of the church. And then if you studied history at all, even American history, the the Great Awakening and the Second Great Awakening, Uh, when I was in seminary, I did a a lengthy paper uh, on the prayer revival uh, just before the Civil War. It was a short-lived revival, but it was started by a church member, not a pastor, not an evangelist. It was started by a church member who called people to pray at noon at the church, and you could only pray for five minutes. (laughs) Hmm. It's hard to get us to pray for five seconds, but you could pray for five minutes, and that revival spread across America. It spread in the military at the time. A million people came to faith in Christ through that revival. The prayer revival started by a church member. And then, of course, some of you are old enough to remember Billy Graham and his great revivals of the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. And that's the 1900s, by the way. <laughs> and so all of those revivals turned the hearts of people. And Jonah and his message from God is going to turn the hearts of people that no one thought could be Turned. And so if you've got your Bible, we're going to read all of Jonah 3. It's only 10 verses long, not too long. So look at it with me. Jonah's been spit out of the whale on the dry land. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was, exceedingly, was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, this is his great sermon right here, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown, exclamation point, and the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And the word reached the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast nor herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth A word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. This is surprising to me. Uh, Every time I read it in Scripture, when God gives someone a second chance, because that's not how you and I typically operate. When someone burns us, disobeys us, goes against what we say, we often just write them off. Well, you're done. And and we're more like Jonah anyway, because we are people who love to complain. We love to serve when it's convenient for us. We love to determine who deserves grace and who doesn't. We're never satisfied with God's treatment of us or anyone else. And that's Jonah. Jonah. Yet God operates completely different than that. He handles us differently than we would handle ourselves. And he handles those who who are for us and against us differently than we would handle them. And so a word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. God could have rescued Jonah and, and had him spit out of the fish onto dry land and said something like, Jonah, I rescued you, but you're done. Thank you very much. Take your bleachy self and walk on back home. That's what he could have done. He could have disqualified Jonah because of Jonah's disobedience, his rebellion. Not just his rebellion, but he put other people's lives at risk because of his rebellion and disobedience. So God said, could have said, Jonah, I'm going to save you from death, but you're now on the sideline forever. But God didn't do that. This time of year, well, typically it would be last year, but it's this year now. The Olympics are coming. Hopefully they're coming. I love the Olympics. I've shared many times. My dream was to be in the Olympics. That ship has sailed, no pun intended for Jonah, but I still love the Olympics. I was reading an article this week about two British triathletes, two women triathletes, who were on the British Olympic team and they were they were participating in a in a pre-Olympic race. And they were going to finish first and second, and the image shows them crossing the finish line, holding hands, kind of in a victorious pose together. And in the back of the photo, there's, no, there's nobody. There's no one behind them. So there's no other participant. There's no other athlete behind them in sight. So they're clearly way ahead. They crossed the finish line together, triumphant, and the track authority disqualified both of them. Because they aided one another in victory by holding hands across the finish line. Now, is that sorry or what? Yes, it is. But isn't that what you and I do when people don't follow our laws and our rules to a T? We disqualify them, we put them aside, we go around them, we tell them, You're done. We're not dealing with you anymore. That's how we operate. That's not how God operates. God restores those who run from him. He restores those who run. And so if you're in a season right now where you're running from God, let me encourage you to stop. To stop and listen listen to your heavenly father say i am here and i want you back because god desires relationship with all of us the prophet and the pagan and he is about restoration He's a God of restoration. We see it all throughout the Bible. The Bible is a testimony of restoration. Abraham, this pagan idol worshiper from the land of Ur, which is modern day Palestine, he calls him out of that. Come on a journey with me, Abraham. Well, Abraham starts going and then he stops in Haran and doesn't go anymore. God could have left him there and said, buddy, I told you to keep going and you didn't. But no, he comes back to Abraham and calls him again in Genesis chapter 12. And who is Abraham? The father of great nations, of many nations. And then Moses, our good buddy, who grew up in Pharaoh's house, kills an Egyptian. That wasn't a smart decision. And because of that, he runs away. For 40 years, he runs away. 40 years, he ran and hid in Midian in the desert, as a herdsman. And God showed up in Exodus 3 in a dramatic way to call him back. We know it as the burning bush experience. To call him back, to rescue his people, to deliver his people out of Egypt. And then Peter, the speak before you think disciple, One of Jesus' closest disciples, one of the three closest, said, I'll go to prison and to death for you, Jesus. And hours later, he denies knowing him three times. The rooster crows, we know that story. I'll go to prison or death for you. And then he denies him. And yet, after Jesus is resurrected, Peter and the other disciples get done with the long night of fishing. They're on the shore. Jesus is there and he restores Peter with one simple phrase feed my sheep. And Peter becomes the leader of the church at Jerusalem, sort of the founding church of Christianity. Peter is the leader of that church. God is about restoration. And so if you're running from him, if you're running into lies, and deception, if you're running away from the truth, let me encourage you to stop. Because God is after you, not in a mean, vindictive way. He's out to restore you, to bring you back, to call you home. Because God is the author and the engineer of grace. He is the author and the engineer of second chances. And when you and I have experienced that second and third and fourth and fifth and sixth and tenth and twentieth chance, we understand his great love. We understand what restoration is about. And because of that, God reveals his message through us. When we've experienced restoration, then he reveals his message through us so that we can share that with others who need restoration. Because Jonah's message wasn't his own. If it was Jonah's message, It wouldn't be near as, well, it wasn't very nice to begin with, but it would be worse. It would be worse. It's a simple message. It's a message of truth. That God is against sin. He's against rebellion. He's against wickedness. He's a God of righteousness. And as we look at this passage in Jonah Not only did the word of the Lord come to Jonah again, as it says in verse 1, but it says that Jonah went according to the word of the Lord. When you and I go with the message of God, we don't go with our power and our strength and our might and our wisdom and our eloquence. No, we go with the power and the might and the sovereignty and the truth and the spirit of God living in us. It is his power and might and truth because it's his message. It's his message of hope. So it's not a message that I have to make up or that I have to make into a great PowerPoint presentation. No, I simply go according to the word of the Lord. God has given us the message. Our task is to obey and Jonah, thankfully this time obeyed. He goes to Nineveh, this large kind of metro area that takes three days to walk across. And and he goes and it takes him about a month to get there, probably from where he was on the shore, about a month. So you imagine he gets to practice this long sermon he gets to preach. He gets to practice and he gets to think about the king of Assyria. He gets to think about these Ninevites, these pagans. He gets to hopefully pray for them. I'm not sure based on his attitude if there was a lot of praying going on. Maybe it was prayer for himself. They wouldn't kill him. But he has a month to prepare. But this wasn't new for Jonah because Jonah had prophesied in Israel. 2 Kings 14 tells us that that he had prophesied in Israel. So this was not Jonah's first rodeo in confronting sin and evil. He he knew what that was about. And so he's thinking about this. He has time to reflect uh, on who these Assyrians are. That's the Ninevites, they're Assyrians. And and Assyria at this time was, was in this constant battle between Them and Babylon, it was kind of the Assyrians and the Babylonians constantly fighting for power and control in the ancient world. Some scholars believe that Nineveh was on the verge of great things, like just to explode and really take over. Other scholars believe that Nineveh was on the verge of collapse. And it ultimately did collapse in 600-ish B.C., But here Jonah has this message to bring to his enemies. Let's not forget that. He brought a message to his enemies. Do you have any enemies? Do you have people that don't like you? Now, I'm not sure you've got folks who want to kill you and take over your country. Well, actually, we do have that. Uh, But maybe not at work or at school. And so here we are. Jonah's preparing to preach this dramatic sermon. And he's coming upon Nineveh. Nineveh is important not just because of Jonah's message. Nineveh is important because when archaeologists discovered Nineveh, they found record of King Sargon. And King Sargon was during the time of Isaiah. And so the archaeological discoveries from Nineveh proved that Isaiah's ministry actually happened. So that's all for free, but you want to impress somebody tomorrow, you can tell them that. That the discovery of Nineveh proved that Isaiah really was a prophet in the ancient world. And so he arrives to Nineveh and starts walking. And he gives this rousing message. Forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. It's eight words in English. Five words in Hebrew don't ever expect that from me and so I I think about this message I, I, I doubt that was the only thing he said as he walked through the city but that was the heart of the message but imagine trying this at school with your classmates try this at work can you imagine sort of the emotional condition of Jonah at this time we thought oh, maybe he was like this super strong in the Lord guy, bleachy looking, like he was already kind of out looking odd, and then he's got this hard message. What do you think he was feeling emotionally? Maybe he was mad that he had to say it at all. Maybe he was scared for his life. And, and then how did he actually deliver it? What was his approach? As a speaker, I think about that. What was his approach to this great message? Did he stand on the street corner on his milk crate and wave the scroll? I would say the Bible, but wave his scroll and yell at people as they walk by. They weren't dressed appropriately like street corner preachers do. They're all going to hell. Is that how he did it? Did did he walk from person to person like the guys uh, on YouTube, Yes Theory? And, and ask a bunch of people as they go, hey, uh, do you want to believe in God and turn from your sin? And when he got a yes, they would, he would film it? And, and go person to person to person? Or did he go to the pagan temples and, and preach there? And try to persuade those that were following after all these false gods? We don't know what he did. But obviously, whatever he did had an impact because the people started to change. They started to repent. They started to turn all the way up to the king. And I struggle with this message of Jonah because I imagine that Jonah was simply operating out of duty. Uh, I was in a fish for three days. I've had a walk for a month. I have this message, and if I don't share it, probably God will end me. And so I'm just gonna do it. I'm gonna muscle through it because God told me to. And I don't sense a great deal of joy in Jonah. And perhaps what Jonah failed to realize is that God wasn't just preparing the Ninevites for his message of restoration and hope and deliverance, God was preparing Jonah to understand what it meant to see people turn from wickedness and evil and sin and put their faith and trust and hope in him and him alone. God was preparing Jonah for that, and he wasn't truthfully ready. And I know that because we can read ahead in chapter 4. So the question we've got to ask is, are we ready for God to send us to the people we don't think God wants to reach? Because God reaches those that we think cannot be reached. And he wants to use you and me. And so you just think about the people in your life That are far from God. And if you can't think of anybody, come to me afterwards and I'll point you to a few. Because we all need to be thinking about those who are far from God. That God wants to reach because God loves that person, those people, that individual, as much as he loves you and me. And he loves them enough to die on the cross, to send his one and only son to die on the cross to forgive them of their sins and to forgive us of our sins. We are all under the same level of guilt, even though we like to categorize sin. God sees it all the same. Because God wants to reach those that we think cannot be reached. He is the God of second chances for everyone, not just for those that are good most of the time. He wants to reach everyone. And amazingly, Jonah shares this message and the city repents. A miracle happens. We kind of read through Jonah like, oh, we we focus more on the fish, spitting him out, than we do an entire city turning to God. That's the climax of the story. That's the miracle of the Jonah story is an entire city repents and turns to God. And the king, even the king, Recognize the power of God. And he preaches a great sermon to his people. Let everyone turn from his evil and from the violence. And who knows, God may relent. Call out mightily to God. When's the last time you and I have called out mightily to God for someone who doesn't know Christ? for someone who has not received salvation? When's the last time we've cried out mightily on their behalf? When's the last time you've cried out mightily for your own sin and said, Lord, I repent. I turn from that sin. I've, I've believed a lie from my culture, from myself, from Satan, I've believed a lie and I turn from that lie and I repent. And the people cry out. And they sit in sackcloth and ashes. That would be a sight today. And they trust in the compassion of God. And I, as I read this, a lot of people ask the question here and in other parts well, did God change his mind? No. The righteousness of God does not change, the compassion of God doesn't change. His righteousness and justice and mercy and grace and forgiveness are all based on relationship. And when that is satisfied, his righteousness is satisfied. These Ninevites repented of their sin, and so his righteousness is satisfied because of their repentance. For you and me today, his righteousness is satisfied through the death of Jesus Christ who paid the penalty of our sin through his blood. We sang about it this morning. That the the righteousness of God is satisfied through the death of Christ. And so if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, his righteousness has been satisfied on your behalf. But we are still called to repent, to confess, to turn from our sin so that the relationship will remain true, will remain healthy. And so God relents because of their repentance. God cares for the prophet and the pagan. God cares for the Christian and the non-Christian. God cares for whatever label you don't like of people in our culture as much as he likes you. And Jonah, the message of Jonah, helps us see that in a very clear way. That this reluctant prophet, this duty-bound prophet, shares a message that he doesn't want to share to a people that he doesn't want to share it to, and they repent, isn't that the goodness of God? That he would rescue a people who have walked away from him their entire lives. That's God's calling for you and me. And so if you're here today in person or online and you're running away from God, you've bought into the lies of this world, let me ask you to come back to hear the message of God, that you would turn from your evil way, and that you would trust that he loves you and that he paid the penalty for your sin on the cross and that you can trust him. And so if that's you today, I invite you to turn and place your faith in Jesus Christ, the one and only one who can forgive sin, who can give us access to the Father. And if you're here today and you've done that, I know many of you have, then you have a challenge. You have a challenge to hear God. To, to listen to him when his word comes to you about sharing his message of hope and faith. You need to hear him when he says, oh, hey, when his spirit, the Holy Spirit, speaks to you and says, you're going down the wrong path. I don't care how good it makes you feel in this moment, it's wrong. This is sin. And you need to turn, we need to believe God that he has our best interest in mind and then to take Action by faith. That we would go and carry this message. Because that's what we are. We're messengers. We're reconcilers. We're restorers. Going in the power and the might and the truth of the gospel. And so today... May we determine our hearts not to look with disdain upon those who are far from God. But may we look with compassion and love and go to them as God would go to them, seeking to restore them in love and truth. That's our calling. Will you pray with me?